0: Told you. Recorded live.
1: A U N. American Underground Network. The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human God to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human God, The politician meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger liar, The public or the godfather?
0: All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are
2: concerned about their future because the future is theirs.
1: My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome.
0: It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dee Dee Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Condit Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart thanks, everyone. Our guest tonight, Ralph Efferson, has been on this show at least a few times, if not more. Uh, it's been a while since he's been with us, and uh, it's always nice to have him back. The presentation tonight will take about an hour and 15, I'd say an hour and a half maybe, with questions and answers. We should get done early, but uh, Ralph is going to lay out before us something in plain sight in the actual written documents that founded our country that's going to uh, come as a, a surprise. Uh, but it's there and I, and I walked with Ralph through these documents, through these sentences uh, this week and I'm going to try to play a tag team, so to speak, with Ralph to help bring this out and put this in the podcast format. Uh, we always wonder why is it that this construct, this government, corporate, global state is so impenetrable, uh, so out of touch, out of reach, in a separate world, in a separate galaxy, and here we are, we the people, uh, slaving away, working from 9 to 5, just trying to make ends meet, and there's a separate category, a separate class, some separate uh, protection that is being granted by this uh, corporate government state, this globalist institution. And uh, Ralph is gonna lay out on the call tonight uh, in, in, in black and white, some of the key words and sentences uh, that when combined, proved that there was constructed in the documents drafted by our founding fathers an absolute total tyranny. And perhaps this is why Bob Schultz can never get redressed. We can never get our answers. Or even get any kind of an acknowledgement coming back to we the people that uh, that we have a voice. Well, uh, thank you for coming on. I, this is not something to be taken lightly. Uh, you're going to ask me to kind of tag team this with you. We did a little rough uh, rough draft uh, or, or, or drill on the phone earlier this week, and uh, why don't we get right into it? Well, thanks for coming on again.
2: Well, yeah thank you, Fred. I appreciate the opportunity. Let me, let me explain this just for the sake of your listeners. Uh, you and I did work on this before what and the reason I did this is we're going to read documents, only parts of documents, of course, you don't have to read the whole thing and what I did was i uh, we, we you and I talked and I suggested that we you each each of us have three different documents in front of us, and then we would pick it. Uh, I would ask you to read the parts that I want to, I want to cover, uh, because people will say, well, I know Fred, but I don't know Ralph. Ralph might very well be taking it out of context. This way we'll have two of us both con- agreeing that what this document says is as follows, and we're going to quote it. You're going to read it, and then we'll talk about it. Our, our founding fathers betrayed us. Now, that's a difficult presumption to make, but we're going to, document it by reading the various literatures that I've got, the uh, Declaratory Act, the Constitution, and the Declaration of Independence. But let me say this first. Words have meaning. If they don't have meaning, we cannot communicate. Language requires words to have meaning. It's meaningless without it. So we're going to talk about words and see that they do have meaning. So I'm going to impanel all of your listeners, as a member of the jury, and what that means you've got to hear all of the evidence before you decide. So I'm going to ask you. Hopefully, you'll listen to the entire program, and then maybe if you miss part of it, uh, Fred will put it on archive and you can listen to the whole thing. This is this might very well be the first time you've ever even heard what I'm about to say, because I know that I cannot find anyone else saying this. But it doesn't matter. I'm doing what I can to get it out. I uh,
0: now. Now, Ralph, real quick, I put in the uh, email, in the newsletter that uh, Steve posted last night, two links, just a basic link, ushistory.org, our Declaration of Independence, or if you have your own copy, that's fine, and then law.cornell.edu, the Constitution of the United States. Uh, if people could open up those links and have them handy, if you happen to be on, online while you're listening to this call, uh, feel free, because we're going to be reading from these documents. And the only one that I don't have, Ralph, is the, the 1766 Declaratory Act uh, that came down in England. But we have a copy, you and I have a copy that we're working from on the backside here.
2: Okay, I understand. The first question we're going to ask is what does the word all, A-L-L, mean? Does it mean all with modifications, all with exceptions? Almost all, all when the government feels like it. No, the word all means all. No modifications, no exceptions, no restrictions. It's all encompassing. It is everything. That's the best way you can describe it. Now, we're going to show you that this word is perhaps the most dangerous word (laughs) that we're going to discuss. We're going to start with the Declaratory Act. And if you'll get your copy out in front of you, Fred, let's go down to the second paragraph and read uh, a sentence.
0: Okay, Okay. This this is the Declaratory Act of 1766. It's the original text from England, and I'm going to start right here. The King's Majesty, by and with the advice and consent of the Lord spiritual and temporal, and commons of Great Britain in Parliament assembled. Had and of right ought to have full power and authority to make laws and statutes of sufficient force and validity to bind the colonies and people of America, subjects of the crown of Great Britain.
2: Okay, stop right there. Now let's go back. king is now being given power, full power, full authority to make laws and statutes. And the purpose is to bind the colonies and people. What does the word bind mean? It ties down, it restricts, it controls. That's what these laws, this law did. It gave him the power to bind the American people. Now, what was the grant of power? Now read the next four words.
0: In all cases, whatsoever period. now, what
2: go ahead, Fred? what does the word "all" mean
0: it means everything all everything. everything
2: there is no limit to the word "all if they wanted a law passed that requires us to bounce on our heads twice a day, they have the authority to make it law and enforce it. That's what we're talking about. This thing gave full. Total unlimited power to the to the English government in America. And by the way, we were subjects of the King of England. We were actually under their government and protection at the time we declared our until we declared our independence. Now we can go to the second document, the Declaration of Independence. And we'll you know, I'll just while you're looking for it, we'll start with it was passed on July the 4th, 1776. Ten years later. Okay. Okay. We lived
0: under the Declaratory Act uh, for 10 years, from 1766 to 1776 before we drafted and 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 passed the Declaration of Independence.
2: That's correct. Now, I want you to go to the very head of the thing and read the line, the unanimous declaration. Okay. It says, uh, Declaration of Independence in Congress, July 4, 1776. It says the unanimous declaration. Can you find right that?
0: There. Yep, I got it right here, Ralph. Read me the that line. Here.
2: Okay, hang on.
0: Uh, okay, that's at the very beginning, right? Yes.
2: The unanimous okay, declaration. Go ahead. What, the
0: unanimous declaration of the, of the 13 United States of America.
2: Okay, now... Is the word United capitalized?
0: No, it is not. Not in this original draft.
2: Okay, fine. And it isn't on the, the I've got a declaration, copy of the,
0: the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, and United is not
2: capitalized. That means it's not a name or a noun, and you don't need to capitalize. It's an adjective. It describes something. But the word states is capitalized. The reason it's capitalized is because in grammar, when you refer to specific states, you capitalize the word, the states, the S in the states. So we were, the states were united in creating a nation called America, not the United States of America, not even the United States. It's a nation called America. That's what they were forming. There was no United States of America, and we're going to see there still isn't. So now, the uh, uh, please remember this, because we're going to play. It's going to play a very important role of, in the uh, uh, in the Constitution. Eleven years later, now in the first paragraph, it says, "When in the course of human events, you find that." Yep. It becomes necessary for one, and what's the word they use? When in so the course, people
0: of, and people is not ca- ca- is not capitalized.
2: Okay, so, so we were people. calling ourselves a body. People means many people, individuals. We each of us was a member of a body called the people, and there there is a very important reason that we called ourselves people, as we shall see. We are individuals in a group called the people. Now go to the second paragraph. We hold these truths.
0: Okay, I'm there.
2: Okay,
0: read down through the
2: word happiness.
0: Okay, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of
2: happiness. Okay, now, notice here once again, that we were endowed by a creator, and these are self-evident truths. A self-evident truth cannot be debated. It's true because it's simply true. So we were created equal. We're not equal, but we were given the equal. We were leaving an organization or a government where certain people had I had more rights than other people. Dukes and uh, barons and uh, princes all had more rights than the common people. And we're saying that's madness. We're not going to allow that. We're all created equal. And then we've got unalienable rights. Now, what is an unalienable right? It cannot be taken away by government, majorities, individuals, groups of people, foreign nations. It's unalienable. They were given to us by our creator, and they cannot be taken away. Now, of course, they are taken away, but we were trying to establish a precedent. They can, they're unalienable, which means they can't be taken, taken away. Now, what are those three rights? Keep going.
0: Okay. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.
2: Okay, now life means each, has, each of us has the right to self defense. We were given the right to life. God taught us not to murder, and we are hoping that no one else will want to murder us. And if someone does murder us, then they, they get punished. What does the word liberty mean? Now, this is tough because liberty and freedom are not synonyms, they're antonyms, they're opposites. Oh no, everybody knows liberty and freedom. No, they do not. And our founding fathers knew that. The word liberty means unrestricted freedom. You're free to do whatever you jolly well want. And we can cover that later. But just think about it. The reason we have freedom is because God taught us to act morally. Freedom is responsible freedom, meaning we do not harm our neighbor or his property. We don't steal. We don't covet. We don't whatever. Freedom means we're free to do what we want as long as it doesn't harm someone else. Now, what does this phrase, the pursuit of happiness, mean? Boy, that's a catch-all. What in heaven's name does that mean? If a cannibal... Comes to is, is in America, he's going to say the pursuit of happiness is for me because I have to pursue happiness. I'm happy when I eat, and therefore I can eat you. Is that what it means? It means I'm happy if I can load my neighbor and steal his goods. Is that what it means? This was the worst choice of words I can ever imagine. You could construe this to mean anything, and that's the danger, but we're not going to spend a lot of time on that now. Read the next line, that to secure.
0: That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed.
2: Oh, boy. Now, think about this. We create government to secure unalienable rights. Why? Because they're unalienable. We know that people could take hey, but we were This is why this declaration in this part, this context, is the most brilliant statement ever put on, on government by man. We were establishing ourselves as people, all of us. All of us have the rights. Not certain people, dukes and barons, all of us have equal, unalienable rights. And we create government to protect, to secure those rights. Now, then reading the next phrase, deriving their just powers.
0: Okay, and... uh, uh, Keep going. uh, To secure these... uh, uh,
2: Deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Will you settle for that?
0: That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed.
2: Now, ask yourself this. Did Barack Obama ask us to vote on Obamacare? Some of us didn't want it. Did he get the, the, uh, the uh, consent of the government for that? I'm going to show you why he has the power to do that later on. We were sovereign people, which means we had no master. People who created state governments to secure our unalienable rights. Then the states credited the federal government now here's a very important principle we can only give to government those rights we have ourselves now i do not have the right to steal from you fred and you don't have the right to steal from me now we do you and i do not have the right to give that right to government because we don't have it individually we cannot give government the right to steal but it's doing that today how about government stealing? Stealing is taking, defined as taking property without permission.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Now... So we're going to work for freedom, not liberty, and boy, we're going to continue on that thought as as well. Liberty means unrestricted freedom. You're free to do whatever you jolly well want. If you want to rape, you want to steal, you want to murder, you've got permission to do it. Our founding fathers had a Liberty Bell, a group of the Sons of Liberty. Many of them spoke about the right to liberty. The word liberty still appears on our coins, and now we've got a statue of liberty, and boy, all of that's fraught with peril. Now, let me make a a self-evident truth, what we just talked about. All of us, liberals, men, women, children, whatever, pro, whatever, all of us are created hungry. I'm sorry, that's the way it is, baby. You don't, you don't have to eat, but if you don't, you die. So now we have the right to property, which means we have the right to go out and can work to to develop or grow or cause the food that we need to live. It's called property. But there are people who want to. Take our property. They're called communists. Communists, like Karl Marx said, we're going to abolish private property. Not government property, but private property. In other words, if you work to make, say, grow wheat, the wheat doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the government. They have the right to take it from you. The communist government Decides if you ever die, and that's why millions of people starved to death in communist Russia. Now, this this comment of life, liberty, and, and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was a compromise. The original read life, liberty, and property, and the Southerners. In the southern part of the state, the Union said, oh, that means we consider slaves to be property. So you're saying we have the unalienable right to property. And the North said, well, it was a bad choice of words. Now let's use this thing called the pursuit of happiness. And boy, that's a dangerous. But that was the reason they changed property to pursuit of happiness. Okay, now, go to the last sentence in, the, in that paragraph, the history of the present king.
0: Okay. Hang on one second. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations.
2: Can I stop All right action? there? Okay, i stop right there. Let's work, what Injuries, we understand that. It's physical injuries to us. But what's a usurpation? As I mentioned, we are sovereign. We were born free. And free mean, means... We have no masters now, I was taught when I was growing up as a young man that Americans bow to no king. man himself is his king, and we were taught by the by the Bible to be our own king, sovereign, and not to do certain things, of course. But I saw a picture of Barack Obama bowing to some Arabian head of state. the President of the United States bowed to another. King? Why would he do that? That's not what I was taught. That was really scary. But anyway, now, usurpation is a violation of sovereignty. In other words, we were created free. They said, no, you're not. Are we going to take this right away from you and this right and give you a privilege or whatever? No, we're not supposed to do that because we were acknowledging in the Declaration that we were sovereign, and a usurpation comes to violate that, and we are not to bow to any government. Okay, now read the next sentence, or continue reading, all having. Okay
0: all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states.
2: Oh, boy. Now, what is the word tyranny? Let's talk about definitions again. Words have meaning. Tyranny is defined as absolute power, unlimited power. Every king wants absolute power, and King George was given absolute power, and we were acknowledging that. In the second paragraph of the Declaration, this was the reason we declared our independence. It was creating an absolute tyranny, and you don't create tyrannies over sovereign individuals. He had power, which means man was not sovereign, he had no rights. And as you pointed out, we had lived under this for 10 years, 1766 to 1776. Now read that last sentence to prove this.
0: Okay. Uh, To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world.
2: Now there are 28 of these and you can read them all if you want. They're just a list of, list of all the things they did wrong and what they were doing to us as a people. But the 22nd is the one that's important. Now, I, I'll, I'll, if you can look down, keep looking till you find suspending our own legislatures. It's the 22nd, which is quite a ways down. So King George was guilty of suspending our own legislatures. Did you find it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I got, I got it here. Hang on, hang on. Real quick, guys. Appreciate your patience.
2: For su- well, let me go ahead. Let me read it. And when you, plan, you Why don't you decide. go ahead?
0: Why do go ahead?
2: Okay. For suspending our own legislatures, which means cutting and stopping them, and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. That means our founding fathers knew precisely about. The Declaratory Act, because those were the same words. The power to legislate in all cases whatsoever was the reason we're declaring our independence. That gave him absolute tyrannical power. So now that's the second time we've seen these words to legislate in all cases whatsoever.
0: Ralph, (laughs) let me me reread that. For suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. So no. this declaratory act of 1766. They are stating in this paragraph uh, number 22 of the uh, of abuses, which is the this is the, the the facts of our abuses in the petition for redress, uh, stating in fact that they they knew it. They can acknowledge that this was the case.
2: Yes. Now, so that's the second. You would agree that both times they used identically it's the same exact
0: same wording. It's all okay. in all cases whatsoever. Yeah.
2: Now, now let's go to the Constitution and open it up to Sec, Article One, the Constitution of the United States of America. We could we'll cover that later in another context. It's far, We'll just skip it right now because there's a very important difference. Separation of power. We separate. We decided not to give all all power to one branch of government, like the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever. We're going to divide the power into three branches. The legislature is going to write the laws. The executive is going to enforce the laws. And the judiciary is going to interpret the laws. That's called the balance of power. Meaning we got checks and balances. That's so what we're taught. Every day I learned in my civics classes way back in high school. We got a balance of power, which means if one branch of the government gets too powerful, the other two can stop, either one or two can stop him. Force it, throw him in jail. Okay? Now we're going to talk about the legislative branch of government. Article one. Wait wait, wait, wait. Ralph. Ralph,
0: Didn't didn't you want to go over the preamble real quick about we? Yeah. Well, in
2: fact, that's that might be a good idea. I don't have it in my notes, but go ahead, read it.
0: Okay. The preamble reads: We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution or the United States of America.
2: And I notice here, now is the word united capitalized? Yes, it is. So in other words, they're they're setting something up. We're going to have a government called the United States in addition to a government called America. So the Constitution created two governments, not one, but two. And they're different. One's only Washington. We'll, we'll see that later in a minute. Okay, now now let's read... The United States, in in this case, the word United was capitalized, which means it's a name or a noun. So they now change it from an adjective to a noun, where it is an adjective to a noun. Now go to Article 1, Section 1, and read 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, the first five words. Article 1, Article. Section 1. All leg- okay, got it? All legislative powers herein granted. Now, what does that mean? We're going to li- we're going to list a bunch of powers, one after the other. They're granted. Meaning, here's what you can, you can do: A, B, C, D, E, and F. If you have, you know, you have got those powers, and then we're going to talk about what happened, because that's this is the key to this whole thing. All legislative powers here and granted. Now, let's read the. I'm going to read the first 16. There's 17 of these, and I'm going to read just briefly. And you can just follow along with me or read the first 16 delegated powers. I'm going to just take one or two words out of each sentence. The Congress shall have power to collect taxes, borrow money, regulate commerce, establish rules of naturalization, coin money, punish counterfeiters, create post offices, promote patents and copyrights, constitute inferior courts, punish piracy, declare war, raise army, raise the navy, make rules for the army and navy, and call out the militia. And then the 16th one says we're going to, you have the power to organize the militia. Now, did you see anything in there about space telescopes? Could the founding fathers have listed that as a general delegated power? Congress don't have the power to tax the American people to build a space telescope? They didn't even know what it was. Is there anything in there about trips to the moon? No. Is there anything there about stem cell research? No. How about aid to education? No. How about foreign aid? No. But they're doing it. Why? And the answer is because of number 17. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17 of the Constitution gives Congress some New no power, Article One, Section Eight, Clause Seventeen. You got it. Congress shall have yep. the power to,
0: to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever.
2: Now stop right there, Fred. We're going to continue it, so please don't don't let me get past it. Oh wait, wait, Fred. You just used some words that I've heard before. What were they?
0: In all cases whatsoever, it was in the Declaratory Act, and it was in the Declaration of Independence.
2: Well, in the the Declaratory Act, was that called Absolute Power? Absolute Power, yep. And was it called that in the Declaration of Independence? It was called the same thing, yes. Who wrote the Declaration of Independence? Was it Americans or uh, or Englishmen?
0: Our Founding Fathers.
2: You betcha now wait a minute fred why did our founding fathers give congress unlimited total dictatorial power absolute power why why did they do that why there's no rational explanation they knew what it meant because just 11 years before 56 men said that's the reason we're declaring our independence. We don't want none of that stinking stuff. But now they're giving that stinking stuff to Congress, and no one can answer my question. Why? What type of men were these? Do you understand what power they just gave Congress? Congress has unlimited power. It's been right in front of us for over 200 years. And little Ralphie found it. Does it mean anything different? Article than, one,
0: Section eight, clause seventeen. Again, to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases
2: whatsoever. And you would agree with me, and I'm hoping I'm hoping your listeners agree, that's absolute power. We we saw it, we read it in seventeen sixty six, we declared an independence our independence because we didn't want that. We said it's the reason we're declaring our independence. It's absolute tyranny. Yet they gave that power to Congress, and they've got it today. Mm-hmm. This is just absolutely incredible. Now let's let's talk briefly. The Declaration was signed by fifty-six men. The Constitution was signed by thirty-nine men. Only six men signed both documents so that means that the
0: six or was it nine
2: no it was six i I confirmed it earlier today okay it is is six. okay so now that means the six men knew what the declaratory act said because they knew and they listed it and talked about it one of those six was benjamin franklin oh yeah we all love benjamin he was one of our greatest statesmen. the guy was a crook and a criminal a tyrant a tyrant he gave congress absolute power he knew he had to know now i will admit if the Constitution was signed by 39 men, only six of which had read the declaration or signed it. So that means 33 of them maybe didn't know. I don't know. I cannot confirm. But at least six of them knew. Why didn't they say, excuse me, gentlemen, I don't like that comment about giving Congress all power. And yet, okay, that's enough. Okay, now, now start with Congress shall have and keep going to the words United States. So we're going to read the first part again. Article one, section eight, clause seventeen. Okay? Did you get by it? Let me start. Congress shall have the power to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district as may become the seat of the government of the United States. Huh? What? What United States? The Founding Fathers didn't know anything about a United States. They knew about states capitalized. We're creating a nation called America, and now we got a place called the United States in only Washington, D.C. We created two governments, one for the states of America called America, and the second one called the United States in only Washington, D.C., and, boy, is this going to play a, div- a major power in what's happening today, once you understand this. D.C. is totally run by Congress with absolute power, the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever. Now,
0: okay, Ralph, Ralph I'm just going back over this. Uh, in this paragraph, which spells out in all cases whatsoever their absolute power over us, they go on to state an entity called the United States, capitalized, not of America. It is a, it's right in the Constitution without the of America, right?
2: That's correct.
0: That's what you're referring to. The government of the United States. There is no America. It is simply the United States.
2: That's correct. And boy, okay, just that's correct. the new
0: government you're talking about, right? That's it. It's
2: that's an, an, an all powerful government, powerful government entity. That's correct. Okay. You cannot argue. This is what it says. Notice words have meaning. If they don't have meaning, we can't even talk. Now, here's a good question. Why would you delegate all power by giving a few delegated powers? You don't need to. You just gave Congress all power. Why then say you've got the power to tax and raise an army and punish piracy? Why did you have to list it? You didn't have to do that. That's the cover. To make us think, boy, we've only got delegated powers. And I'm going to show you that and prove that in a few minutes. They tricked us. They didn't know. What, they knew we wouldn't know what it meant in all cases, because they listed the delegated powers. We have two constitutional governments, America and the United States. Now, let me give you the first clue of what this means. I live in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, Across uh, 60 miles from the state, the nation known as Mexico, but I live in a a nation called America. So I live in the state of Arizona, one of the United States, small u that created the government. Well, they didn't do it, but later on were adopted. Okay, so we 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 drove into Mexico. We took our car. We were stopped by the Mexican authorities. They said, "Where are you going?" And my father was driving. He said, oh, we're going to go down to Nogales and just go shopping and, uh, and come back, and then we'll go, go back to, uh, to uh, Tucson. Okay, fine. As long as you stay inside the city limits of Nogales, bring your money and spend it. There's no peace and no passport. So what then we, we did our ourselves, we left the car, walked, parked, and then walked around, came back, and now we're driving back towards the border. And my mother told my grandma, the grandma, the man inside the uh, from the United States, when we get to the border, is going to ask you, where were you born, grandma? Please don't say Poland, grandma, because you were. But don't say Poland, because he'll then say, where are your papers? Because she was a naturalized citizen. We'll talk about that later. So she, my grandmother lied and said United States. Now, If they wanted to, and they suspected she was from Poland, they could have jailed her for lying because she was not a a citizen of Arizona. She wasn't born in Arizona. She was born in Poland, but she's a naturalized citizen of the United States. So she lied. She got back in. A couple of years ago, I crossed the border, and when I came back in, I walked this time, and the guy says, are you a citizen of the United States? No, I'm not. I'm a citizen of Arizona. I've got a piece of paper since I was born there. But the law, the question's changed. Where were you born? Meaning I was born in Tucson, therefore I can go back to the to the nation known as America. So something's changed and boy, That's the, the beginning of it. Now, uh, Article 2, we didn't discuss this, but I'm just going to do it in brief form. Article 2 right. sets up. Article 2 sets up the executive branch of government, and under sections 1, 2, and 3, Hillary could have been elected president, but not inaugurated. How many people talked about this during the campaign? None. Only Ralphie. Why did I say this? When you read that, and I won't ask you to read it, because you have to read several paragraphs, the word he and his appear 15 times 15 times he means a male his means a male and they talk about the powers of the present his powers he has the following 15 times does the word he and or his mean her and she no it means a man the male is hillary a male? well maybe she is i don't know but she doesn't claim to be she's a woman Hillary could not be inaugurated if words have meaning. Now, why were only men able to become president? There was, our nation was set up with men-owned property, and only men could own property. And they were going to create a government, which means the government had to power to tax them. So this was a further limit on the scope of government, because people are not going to vote taxes on their property. So Hillary could not be inaugurated. Now, later on, people have said, oh, wait a minute, hurry the word he means gender neutral. No, it doesn't. Because if it did, why did they pass the amendment to give women the vote? Uh, why Why would they need to do that? Do you understand? Sorry, Hillary. I don't think she could have. Okay. Okay, let's get that. Now, let's go to the Tenth Amendment. Okay. Let's read the Tenth you want me to read it?
0: Yeah. No, you, 10, you,
2: oh, you, okay. And you, when you get there you can confirm it. It's at the end of these things, the Tenth Amendment. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited it prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Okay, so now uh what does that mean? Uh we've got badly powers, but we don't have all power. so whatever's left over belongs to the states. That's what they that's what we thought it meant, but let me tell you what it really meant. And you might remember, Fred, I used a little example. Fred comes to Tucson and we're sitting out in my patio enjoying delivery. Uh it was we called it warm, Fred. I know you people call it hot, but it was already warm and I didn't notice, but you were starting to perspire. I said Ralph, you got anything cold to drink? And I saw Oh boy uh, Fred, look in the corner of the lot. There's a, a, a lemon tree, fresh right there. I just cut two of them, three lemons off, cut them down, sp- slice it, juice them. Made lemonade. It's in, I think, fresh, pure water, uh, sugar. And boy, it's, it's cooling in the refrigerator. It's in a pitcher. I'll tell you what I'll do, Fred. I'll go inside, get the pitcher, and uh, uh, I'll bring out two glasses. And then uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pour out... My glass first, and then whatever's left over belongs to you. And then I poured out the lemonade into my glass, and there was nothing left. Isn't that what the government just did with states' rights?
0: Mm -hmm. They
2: poured out their powers first. All power. When you have all power, there's nothing left. It's all the lemonade. There's no more lemonade left. There's no such thing as a state's right, if you believe the Constitution. Because it gave Congress all power, it gave Congress all of the lemonade. Am I interpreting this incorrectly? No. Words have meaning. Do you? Would you agree with me, Fred? Mm-hmm. Would you agree with me? Yes,
0: uh, I'm. I'm definitely in agreement, Ralph. It, it is. It is so black and white, simple. It's. it's, it's there's really not much to discuss here.
2: No, there isn't. Uh, but we're not through yet. We've got to continue. Okay. We'll, go, we'll go as long as go we ahead. can. Now, let's define the word stealing. Stealing is taking of property without permission. Now, most civilizations punish stealing. Why? Let's say this: that you and I are in the wheat growing business, and we we harvest our wheat, bring it into a warehouse connected to the building. And the next morning, we we do it because we're going to eat that, use that wheat during the winter to survive. And the next morning, we go we go there and check, and it's all been taken away by someone came with the truck and didn't we didn't know about it, and they stole all of our wheat. Should they be punished for that? Yes, because they took away our property, and without property, we're going to die. You and I are going to die. Now, they'll eat well during the winter, but you and I will die. Did we vote? Oh, by the way, the reason we do that is because God said in the Bible, thou shalt not steal. But it's based upon a very simple self-evident truth. If you ain't got food, you ain't going to live. So you and I got wheat? No, we don't. Someone else took it. Now, Did we vote for the increase in the food stamps? Where does that money come from? It comes from you and I, taxes. So they said, we're going to take your tax money and give it to these people in the way of form of food stamp. Is that called stealing? Yes or no. It's called stealing because it's taking property without permission. Mm -hmm. Of course it is. Words have meaning. Karl Marx wrote, Here's the essence of communism. Listen to this. He wrote this in 1872. Karl Marx was the father of communism. He's the one that came up with the phrase and creating communism. He wrote, from each according to his abilities to each according to his needs. So we're going to take money from those who have the ability, Fred and Ralph, who've got wheat, and take it and give it to the people who don't have wheat. Is that called stealing? Marx? Yes. yes, it does. Marx said there is no moral absolutes. There are none. Therefore, the stealing doesn't apply. If we want to take the wheat you got, we're going to take it. And if you and I resist, we're dead. Is that voluntary? No, it is. It's coming by force. Okay. Now, the Congress Revolution in Russia, the Marxist Revolution, killed as many as 40 million russians who did not want to live in the commerce paradise in other words they were the farmers who had to give up their wheat that they were storing for the winter and when it was taken those people died they starved to death only 40 million of them that's what happens when you abolish private property now let's give you another communist who said a very similar thing listen to this 1964 we are going to try to take all of the money that we think is unnecessarily being spent and take it take it take it from the haves and give it to the have-nots that need it so much now i might have been a little bit too fast but doesn't that sound just like what Karl Marx said uh-huh mm-hmm. Yep. Same thing, isn't it? We're going to take from those who've got the ability and give it to those who have a need. There's no, there's no difference between that statement and the one that called Marx. Therefore, the man who made that statement has got to be called a Marxist communist. Who said that? Lyndon Johnson, a president. And I said that in 1964. Wait a minute. He's stealing. He's a communist. Now, notice, I didn't say he said it. He said it. It's in the congressional record. He said the same thing as Karl Marx. Now, in October of 2008, Barack Obama met Joe the Plumber during a walk through a city in Ohio, and they talked about tax increases. And Joe the Plumber was very concerned that they would take take their taxes from those who were producing and give it to those who weren't producing. And Barack Obama said, quote, and I think... When you spread the wealth around, it's good for everybody. So that we can take from those who have the ability and give it to those who have the need. What's the difference between that and what Karl Marx and what Lyndon Johnson said? Nothing! Barack Obama just said he was a Marxist communist. But he didn't have a beard, Ralph. Yes, that's true. Or neither did Lyndon Johnson. But do you understand... He just taught us, you don't take from one to give to another. You don't have that right. You, Joe the Plumber, didn't have that right. You couldn't give it to government when you created government. But he said, I'm going to take it, and he took it. And there's a reason he said that, because he knew the difference. He was a Marxist. I know that's not very pleasant, but notice, that's what he said with Joe the Plumber. Check it out. You can watch it on the Internet. Now, we've got to define two terms that you and I didn't talk about. Uh, It's called spending. Everybody has, let's say everybody's got a salary. Let's say the average salary in America is $50,000. That's high, but just to figure out, pull out of the hair. Now, uh, there's a thing called non-discretionary spend according to the economists non-discretionary means part of that fifty thousand dollars you have to make the payments non-discretionary you can't decide not to pay it because you got to pay your house mortgage your taxes make your car payments pay the water bill the electricity bill all this stuff if you don't do that you lose your house and you go to jail so that's non-discretionary spending. Those payments you've got to use of your $50,000. Well, let's just say the argument that's $30,000 a year. What is the other 20000 That's called non-discretionary. I mean discretionary. You can use do that non Okay, Non is you don't have a choice. Discretionary, you've got choice. Well, I want to go see... Uh, grandma, I want to go to a restaurant, a movie, and you know, maybe maybe we should go take a vacation. And we see, first of all, that we got the money to do this, you look at your twenty thousand, and whatever you got left over, you can decide to go see Grandma. And maybe you can't because the discretionary becomes too of a much of a burden. I'm going to make a statement. The purpose of government today, the whole line of America, Think about this. The purpose of government today is to reduce your discretionary spending and convert it to non-discretionary spending. Take it and give it to government. Does Obamacare do that? Yes, it takes money that you could decide to spend or not spend on your medical insurance and then give it to government. That means it now becomes non-discretionary. You better make your payments or you go to jail. So that's the purpose today. We're going to convert discretionary spending to non-discretionary spending, little economic terms. Okay, now, uh, okay, uh, okay so here's another example. Why don't we buy our gasoline, our oil, from foreign nations? Let me tell you why. It furthers the proof of my contention. The purpose of it is to take money from your discretionary spending and put it over into the non-discretionary category. Let me tell you how they do that. Let's just say that we bought a billion dollars worth of oil from some Arabian country. So we pay them one billion dollars of money, and then they send us whatever gallons of oil, and then maybe we'll refine it in America. Now, what happens to that billion dollars? Does it come back to America? Some of it might, but I don't think so. I think the people in the Arabian country keep it and use it as spending money. That means we got to find another billion dollars to buy next month's gasoline. Now, if we bought it from a local uh, refinery and a local oil pro- uh, gasoline, you know, oil producer, he, we give him the billion dollars, or whatever, a percentage of it, and he takes it to pay his employees, and his employees go out and buy vacations and ice cream cones and buy a house and everything else, and then they, when you buy a house, you have it built, that means they pay the carpenter wages and they buy the supplies. All of this is money that's being spent in America. And then after a while, we'll take another billion dollars. But notice it's all spent internally. When we spend a deal, you spend send a billion dollars to Saudi Arabia, much of that money doesn't come back, and therefore the the uh, the oil producer in America doesn't have it to pay wages and pay for vacations and and equipment and uh, whatever he needs. It's called a drain on society. By the way, why are we allowing these illegal aliens to come to this country for the same identical reason? Listen, America, just think about this. These people are here to make money, which is fine, and then they send it back to Mexico. They send it to their family. That's why they're here. The wife and the children don't have any money in Mexico, so they send them American money. Does that money come back? Probably not. That's another drain. That's why they don't want to build the curtain. So let these people continue to stay in this country and then drain our money off to Mexico. Do you understand? It's the same thing. They're increasing the non-discretionary spending at the expense of the discretionary spending this is not passion, i know america but stop (laughs) it stop and think about it okay now let's see what's next oh yeah one more thing when i went to the university of arizona i graduated four many years ago my tuition per year was around four hundred dollars now it's over nine thousand dollars why is it so expensive well uh, when i went to college we were taught we're only 5% of the American, way back in the 50s, I know it's quite a while ago, but we were taught that only 5% of the people in America have college degrees, which is nice. That means we got a little better advantage of getting a job. And then, secondly, uh, that the, the uh, uh, tuition was low because you could hire a good professor and buy a textbook for about $400 a year. Now, it's now why is it so much? Because it moves it over. Into the non-discretionary item, these people have to. They borrow from the government. They borrow the nine thousand dollars. In fact, if you're from out of state and want to come to the University of Arizona, it costs you thirty thousand dollars a year. Where do they get that money? If Mom and Daddy haven't saved for you, and if they got five children, they can't send you the car. Oh yes, they can. You can borrow the money. So now you got thirty thousand dollars. You got to pay back times four is a hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and you only make fifty thousand dollars a year why because it's now become a non-discretionary item you've got to make your payments, or you go to jail that's what it's for i'm sorry i don't mean to get i raised my voice once in a while perhaps you've gathered this is so incredible it just minds about oh here's one last thought next time there's a major hurricane in some nation other than the united states notice who got who's got the most money to help them it's America. You don't see Denmark sending in money, or Scotland, or no, Scotland be better, or Spain, or France, or England. Why? Why don't they help us? Because they have, nearly all of their money is non-discretionary spending. In Cuba, before Fidel Castro got, died, the average American, a uh, 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 Cuban citizen, got a, a, a minimum wage of thirty dollars a month thirty dollars a month he earned a lot more but all of that money was taken for non-discretionary spending so he had thirty dollars oh by the way i said it was a minimum uh, wage it's all of the maximum he couldn't get 40 or 50 he only got thirty dollars a month That's why the very wealthy, Denmark and Sweden and all those countries, oh, look, you people are so poor, you don't even have medical insurance. See, they don't have a defense budget like we do because we pay for their defense. Isn't that nice of us? We give them money, we protect them, we sign them up in treaties, and we'll come to your defense, and they don't have to pay for that. Therefore, they can take that money and buy medical insurance with it. Okay, now we're going to go to the 13th amendment. You still with me, Fred? Yep, yep, still here. 13th amendment. Start flipping. Okay. Where at the end. Um, okay. okay, I
0: I don't I don't have it in front of me. You're going to have to read this.
2: Okay. Let me read the 13th amendment. We read the 10th. This is the 13th. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States. Now this was passed in 1865. three years — I'm sorry, right within months of the Civil War. It ended in 18 April, and just a few months later, it was passed as, a resol- as an amendment to the Constitution. Neither slavery nor involuntary. What is slavery? Slavery is forcing someone into a contract they don't want to get into. See, they brought these black people over from Africa and they sold them. That means they were property. That's why the South didn't like the use, uh, wanted to have it declared as a self evident truth. But no, they bought these people, and if the black man decided to run and flee, and they would send out the word look for him, and if they caught him, say, another uh, stayed away, they brought him back. Because he had a contract. We, you bought him from the guy that sold him. This guy sold him. So you he signed a contract for one black man, $150, wherever it was. That's called slavery. So we're going to eliminate it. Neither slavery shall exist within the United States. But there's also a thing called involuntary servitude. That's signing a contract. You don't want Let's say, I want to, I want to go to work for an insurance company uh, or, you know, or go to work for an ice cream store. And he says, okay, the only way we'll take it is if you sign this contract, which means you're a slave. That's involuntary servitude. It means the same. But notice this, Fred. Voluntary servitude permitted, isn't it? If
1: mm-hmm. you're
2: free, you're free to become a slave anytime you want to. Mm-hmm. I would not doubt. I don't know this, but I would doubt not doubt that there were probably thousands, if who knows how many, slaves who were freed by the 13th Amendment. And they said, boy, now I can go out. And, and he said, I don't have any skills. He couldn't get a job. So he went back to the master and said, Master, yeah. when I was working for you, you gave me food and medical attention and a house and a wife and children. I had to work. but And, uh, and uh, but all the, if I got sick, you'd call a doctor. If I injured my leg, you'd have a doctor. If I got sick and couldn't work, you'd let someone else work for me. I want to continue that. That would be called voluntary servitude. Mm-hmm. Now, so voluntary servitude is permitted. Now we got to read the 14th Amendment, and here's here's where this stuff all comes together. Okay.
0: I, I can grab this one. Hang on. Okay. You want me to read this? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside.
2: Stop right there. That's fine. That's that. That's the essence of it. What's the second that's word, Fred? Second word. Person. What's a person? Wait a minute. The person. Yeah. Yeah. What's a person? We would call people.
0: All persons born. Yeah.
2: Persons. Right. Yeah.
0: What persons. happened to people?
2: Yeah. What happened to people? Let me tell you, I can tell you what happened. When you, let's, let's see how the best way to tackle this. I declared that we have certain unalienable rights, but now we've got persons, and we're going persons live by privilege. People live by right. Huh? Something's changed. We've now become a Person. Wait a minute, I wasn't born or naturalized in the United States. I was born in Arizona. How did I become a person? Hello. Here we go, baby. Let's talk. Uh, this is this is not fun. Let's go I'm I'm flipping things that we we've already covered. Okay, now this was the fourteenth Amendment. Okay now, all persons. We declared ourselves to be a people, born with unalienable rights. Now we're called persons. I'm going to start with this. The Hippocratic Oath was written by Hippocrates, the so-called father of medicine, in 400 B.C., which means 2,400 years ago, Hippocrates wrote down an oath that nearly every doctor in the world has taken since. Physicians take it, and it talks about what you're going to do. With regard to the healing, I will take care that they suffer no hurt or damage. And they listen to this. I will give no sort of medicine to any pregnant woman with a view to destroy the child. The child. The attack doctors cannot, by the oath they took when they became a doctor, perform an abortion. Suddenly, in around 1960, that was taken out of the Hippocratic Oath so that doctors could perform abortions. So let's now read the Roe v. Wade decision. Notice that they called the unborn baby a child. A child under the decoration had unalienable rights. So we're not going to allow doctors to create, kill that baby. Okay, the Roe v. Wade decision 13 years later, January 1973, the majority opinion of the Supreme Court ruled that a fetus is not a person within the meaning of the 14th Amendment. What does that mean? The baby before had unalienable rights, and if you injured the baby somehow, hit or hit the mother and the baby as, a, as a, in the car while she was still carrying the baby, that baby could sue you for damages. But now it can be aborted because it's a person. Persons led by privilege. It's not a person within the meeting. Now, let me tell you this. The Nazis did the same thing. See, they didn't like the Jews, so they passed a law declaring the Jews to be persons. And persons live by privilege, which means we grant you the right to, or the privilege of life, but we can also take it away. And they did by law. They took away, and that's why they could gas the Jews, just like America did that with the babies. They're no longer babies, babies, they're fetuses, and we can take them out of the womb and destroy them. Just like they gasped the Jews who were declared to be persons in Nazi Germany. Do you see what we just did? We're persons. So let's read this again a little bit more thoroughly. All persons born are naturalized and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Now, how did I become a citizen of you remember what I was asked when I crossed the border? Are you a citizen of the United States? So I, I guess I somehow did that? How did I do that? Do you know? Well, yes, I have to know. When I returned to Arizona in 1976, I had to get my Oregon driver's license renewed it over again. So I asked them for the little booklet. Uh, you go in there and they have a little booklet telling all about Arizona's laws and how you can drive on the highway. And here's what it says. There's no law requiring me to get a driver's license. Did you know that? I asked the policewoman. Who a little? I, I by the way, I got the license, and I'll tell you how I did it. And I would urge you to do the same thing, all your listeners. I stopped a, a police woman in one of those circle cases, which means she was she signed off. I'm going to have a cup of coffee, so I caught her. She was, you know, getting out of the car. I said, "Ma'am, would you take a moment and help me? I got a question for you." Okay, what is your question? I said, "Can you cite the Arizona statute that requires me?" as a citizen of Arizona, to get a driver's license. So she looked and looked and looked, and here's what she came up with, a statute. Quote, all persons who reside in the state of Arizona must get a license. Oh, man. If you're not a person, you don't have to get a license. But if, you, if you're a citizen, you gotta get one. How did I become a citizen? I'm going to tell you how I did this, and you did it, Fred. I don't know, maybe you didn't. If you didn't, you better. (laughs) Okay, let's go now to the time that I became a citizen. I did this voluntarily. Don't forget, voluntary servitude's permitted. Social Security is voluntary, voluntary because of the 13th Amendment. They can't force you into a contract. In Arizona, they can't force you to get a driver's license. But if you're a person, you've got to have one. Okay, so how did I do that? Now let's go back to little Rafi when he was a senior in high school, when I had a head of hair at the time. And I'm sitting in a little class called civics. And my teacher said, hey, tomorrow. Uh, don't make sure you're here because we got a lady coming in to talk to us about Social Security. I said, oh boy, that'll be fun, we don't have to listen to our teachers, boring. So the little lady came in and said, listen kids, i guess a paraphrase of course, listen kids, you know that soon you're going to graduate, this was like in April maybe, we graduated a month later, whatever it was, he says, listen, you know you're going to go out and get a job, and when you get to talk to the employer, she's going to ask you for a Social Security number, and I'm going to say you don't have one, and I'm going to tell you, you can come into the office and get one, so he said, Okay, gee, I guess I gotta have one. I'm, I, I need a number, so and I gotta get a job, so I gotta have. I guess I should get, should get one. She didn't say I had to, so I walked in there and I walked into the lady. And she I signed up and said, Next, and they uh, uh Ralph Epperson, that's me. Come sit down. She said, Okay, you uh, know, you want a social search- security number? Yes, I need a number. Well, are you a citizen of the United States? Now, I didn't know that I was not because I wasn't born in Washington, D.C. But I realized I wasn't born in Mexico or Denmark or Sweden or Bolivia. I was born in the United States because it's called the United States. So I said yes. And when I did, I became a person voluntarily under the 14th Amendment, 13th Amendment. As soon as you got that, you were asked that question. Now, let me prove to you there's no law. We can use them as well. Well, let me say you one more story. I got a call to be a jury member, and the letter said, Dear Mr. Epperson, we found your name. On, I think it was the voter's registration, maybe by car license, and we have the power to call you as a jury, so please fill out the form and send it back. So the question, Dear Mr. Epperson, I've been called Please answer the following question. Are you a citizen of the United States? I wrote down, no, no, because I want them to tell me how I became a citizen. So I wrote down, no, and I cited the 14th Amendment. I said, I was not born or naturalized in the United States. Therefore, I'm a citizen of the state of Arizona, so I'm not a citizen of the United States. Well, she didn't like that answer and said, "No, you are. Everybody is." I said, "Ma'am, I'm not. I never became a citizen. I'm not naturalized or born." I quoted the Fourteenth Amendment. It says you got to be born or naturalized. I'm neither. She said, Come on in. I said, Well, I guess I better go because if I don't go, they're going to get me. So I said, I, I walked in, and I signed up, I got there at 8 o'clock, just like I was supposed to. And I went to the lady and signed in. I said, Lady, I want to talk to a judge right now. Please, may I talk to a judge? Because I'm going to explain to him, Your Honor, this foreman I got a copy of, it says, Oh, he's serious. And I said, No, I'm going to show you, I got my birth certificate with me, and I was born in Arizona, therefore I'm not naturalized or born in the United States. And have him tell me that you did become a citizen by accepting the Social Security card. And then, then they got me. Then they said, "I did do that." I wanted him to tell me. Well, anyway, I got called to the first jury pool, and we walked across the street and waited. And then we were dismissed because the the case we were going to hear they they had a, jur- a a plea bargain, and the guy accepted it, so we didn't have to hear the jury. So we were freed. Now, let me give you another example. Before I. Finish with this. Okay. Uh I was lecturing on this very subject once in the, on a seminar in uh, another state doesn't matter. And I brought this very point up and I said, You don't have to, and then I put it so during the break I said, okay, let's take ten minutes and you know, you have a soft drink or whatever, walk talk whatever. So a young couple comes up to I want to tell you, you're right, Ralph. I said, Well, how do you how do you know that? I said, well, let me tell you our story. So I said, and the wife was standing beside him. I said uh, we had our first baby, and we took it to the took her the wife to the hospital, and they, they delivered the baby fine. And the doctor said uh, we got one more test to run, and if it shows up it's not uh, a, a positive, then uh, tomorrow at noon you'll be able to get your baby. So they they waited. The next day came at noon, and walked in. Said, "Okay, we're the Johnson family. We're here to pick up a little Sissy." And they said, uh, uh, "Well, uh, we don't have a record of Sissy being given a social security number." We're not going to get her one. Oh, no, no, that's not. We, we, it's, it's our policy not to release the child without, a, birth, a, without a, a, a Social Security number. He said, I'm not going to get one. Well, then we can't release the baby. So the young man said to the nurse, please bring the administrator down. The guy in charge of the hospital, I want to talk to him. So she made a phone call, Mr. Jones, and Mr. Jones came down. He was not a doctor because he wasn't wearing the white coat. He was wearing a business shirt and tie. He's a businessman. So he said, what's the problem there? Well, I want me to get a card for my daughter, and I'm not going to. Oh, no, it's our policy. Yeah, let me tell you this, uh, uh, Mr. Johnson, uh, uh, I'm going to ask one more time, and if you persist, and keeping our baby when you're asked to deliver it and you agreed to deliver it, I'm going to call the police and charge you with kidnapping. And the man said to the nurse, release the baby. Huh? Did he know or not? Yes, he did know. Do you understand? He's perpetrating a fraud on those parents. So that's true. There's one more more to do this, if I may. There's no draft. The baby
0: was released. The baby was released, right? Yes,
2: the baby was released to the couple. The doctor, the the administrator knew, but it was bluffing. There's no law, and I'll prove that in a minute. Let me give one more example. There's no draft. You cannot be drafted unless you're a citizen. Let me tell I know this. I've got a personal story. Well, it's a second-hand story. My friend Carl was a patriot friend of mine. I've known him for 30 years, and he told a story once at a breakfast club that we were both members of. He said, during the Vietnamese War, I had a phone call from a friend of mine living in Vincent, about 60 miles away. And he called and said, listen, my son got a draft notice, a number number 57, and he's ordered to be in Tucson on Thursday or whatever, April 5th, let's say, Uh, 1971 or whatever it is. And I don't want him to go. He said, well, here's what you tell your son to do. Tell your son to go there. If it says 8 o'clock, be there at 8 o'clock on the time appointed. Don't show up late. Don't show up the next day. Be there at 8 o'clock. And sign in. Do whatever they ask you to do. And then go through all of the steps which means you got to go through a physical, you've got to go through an IQ test, whatever else they do to make sure, you know, sure you're physically fit to serve. Those who were physically not fit and you had a broken leg and they couldn't walk, they were dismissed to go home. But if you pass both of those exams, then all of you, those who did pass, are going to be called into a room. And the man in charge is going to say, gentlemen, thank you very much for showing up. Of course, paraphrase. So what we're, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to take one step forward, and together all of us are going to take an oath of allegiance to the United States Army. When he hears this, your son, shout out as loud and as clearly as you can, what rights am I giving up by taking the step forward? And the man didn't say anything about it. He took, asked the others to step forward, and they, dummies, took the step forward. They took the oath of office to the most powerful government in the world, and they walked out the door. This young man stood, tell your son to stand there. Don't breathe. Don't whisper. Don't say, i got to go to the bathroom, or can I go get a Coke? Stand there and wait. They'll come back out. And when he did, the, the sergeant or the curb captain gave him bus fare from Benson to Tucson and Tucson back to Benson and said, thank you for coming in. You're still draft, unless wow. you're a citizen. Now, let me prove all this, please. One more thought. Read your 1040 tax form. Who must take, must make taxes, pay taxes. The, t- the tax rules. Notice they're not laws. They're called rules. The rules apply to U.S. citizens. Well, how did you become a citizen? You voluntarily told them you were. You didn't know, like I didn't know. You're not a citizen of the United States unless you were born. In war. by the way, this is the reason. That our congressmen, our senators, and all the I presume all the employees working there have their own insurance, medical insurance, and have their own retirement program because they're living in a different country. There's laws being entered. Some people are going to try to get an amendment to the Constitution that says everybody in the United States and America, if you live here in either place, you must abide by the laws passed by Congress, which means you've got to buy Obamacare, too. That's got about as much chance as a snowball. But all these sewages, okay, now here we go. I have in front of me, I know this letter's dated, but it doesn't matter. It, it's still applicable. This was written in July 1979 by the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, the Social Security Administration Department. The Social Security Administration does not require, does not require, does not require that you have a Social Security number. We can issue a number to you only if you submit an application showing identifying information, meaning are you a citizen of the united states and if you submit age eligible etc and citizenship so you don't require there's no law find the law please find the law now income there's a second letter from the social security administration social security is a voluntary system voluntary it says it's voluntary? No, it's not. Everybody knows you got it. No, in that no one, no one is required to get a number. However, programs which use Social Security numbers for control purposes might not allow a person without a Social Security number to get one. So wait a minute. It's voluntary? Yes. The 13th Amendment prohibits it. Barack Obama has the power... To amend legislation, he was doing it all the time by executive order. He could not do that. Under I mean, the basic constitution, he has no authority to amend the any uh, uh, act. But he was doing it. He said, "Remember, I've got the phone and the uh, uh, piece of paper and a pencil. I don't need the Congress you, uh, you, Yes, you do. Under the but now here, this is the final clincher, and I want you all the all your listeners to be seated and grab hold of the sides of your chair, because this is a mouthful, but I'll prove this as well. The Constitution of the United States of America was voided, 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 declared null and void by the Supreme Court decision in 1938 of Erie Railroad versus Tompkins. You know, if you say, I don't believe that, Ralph, go to the uh, law library and ask the lady, whoever's in charge, I want to read Supreme Court Decisions of 1938. Now, in my DVD, I identify where it is for you to find it, because you're going to find it voids the Constitution. See, that's why Barack Obama has the power to uh, amend the law. Remember that little Michelle Obama, who God lover beautiful the beautiful wife of Obama, gave a little speech, and you can watch this on the Internet. When Brock and I went to Africa, we visited his home country of Kenya. Huh? What's a home country? If you're born in Germany, that's your home country. If you're born in Spain, that's your home country. She just admitted that Barack Obama was born in Kenya. Now, do we know that for sure? Yes, his grandmother and his father's two stepbrothers, half brothers, all were there when little Mrs. Obama gave birth to Barack. So, wait a minute, why didn't the Supreme Court? Challenge. They were challenged seventeen times to determine whether or not he was a natural born citizen, and they refused to do it. Why? Because they know, like you and I know now, that the constitutions don't void They don't have to. And Hillary could be elected. It doesn't matter. There's no more requirement for a male to be president. Do you understand? This makes enormous sense. Okay, I got that covered. Let me see. What else I got to say here? Okay, and then we covered all that. Okay, now, I want to bring, finally, an, an expert witness to the fray. I think this should be a to a conclusion. Little Rafi Everson got to know a man by the name of Howard Freeman, and maybe some of your listeners know the man or knew him. He's since gone on. But he was a little guy like Bob Newhart, just quietly winding his way through life, he didn't bother anybody. I probably never got a traffic ticket. Never double parked. Never jaywalked. He was just a little guy that uh, <laughs> he just walked his way. But boy, was he! He was a knowledge, of, a fountain of knowledge. So one day, my friend invites me to come over to his house because he invited uh, uh, Howard to come speak in Tucson. So he said, "Come on over." Howard agreed to sit in the, in the living room and talk to about six or eight of us. And I'm inviting five of us. Pretty short. So I said, "Okay, that's a deal." So I'm going to bring you two stories this man told us, and I believe every word of what he said because it fits. And not only that, but I, I believe the man was telling the truth. So little Howard sits down. says, I'll tell you two stories. Number one, he said, and he named the year. I don't remember this. This must have been ten years ago that I met him and we talked that night. But let's just say fifteen years ago, he said, I, I served, I, I was asked by a young man who had stopped paying income tax because he found out it was voluntary he's not going to volunteer anymore so he was charged with failure to file and he pled not guilty so he invited howard to be his expert witness because howard was an expert on the constitution So the the prosecution laid, brought the IRS agents in, yes, uh, this young man paid taxes from, I'm going to make these dates up, 1985 to 1990, but in 1991, he stopped paying for three years, and that's why we're charging him with failure to file. And here are the records to prove it. So now he says, Howard, who are you? It's now the young man's chance to defend himself. Hey, uh, Mr. Freeman, who are you? I'm hard Freeman. Where do you live? I'm so and so. What do you know about this? Kind of I've studied it for years, and I can cite eight, eight Supreme Court decisions which ruled you don't have to pay income taxes. So he said, "Well, please do that." Howard laid them out one by one. So and so case, issued by Supreme Court, 1938, or 36, and where we there was, and it just said this, and he went to the second one. He listed eight supreme court decisions so after he got through he said thank you very much the young man freeman came back to the bench and said you're going to win the judge let me cite those cases in the court record and he's got to obey the court record because he's a federal judge which took an oath to support the constitution and supreme court decisions he has no choice he's got the rules you don't have to pay and he'll dismiss the charges so they waited, then the judge gave, they summarized it and everything else, and then the judge said to the jury, I'm going, You're now free to go into the jury room and deliberate whether or not you feel this young man uh, was in violation of the law and did file the, the, the failure to file. He said, But before I release you, I'm going to say this you are to totally disregard the testimony of Howard Freeman. What? Disregard. Standing supreme court decisions from a federal judge now howard did never got mad angry I, I don't know but i presume from all i knew he was just a quiet little mild-mannered guy so i think he probably got as bad as this angry he can't do that that's probably how angry little howard got so howard raced around the back and caught the judge in the hallway going towards his office he said your honor yes mr freeman Your Honor, you're a federal judge. Yes, sir, I am. He said, Your Honor, that means you've taken an oath to support the Constitution. Oh, yes, I did. And he said, You've also taken an oath to support Supreme Court decisions. Yes, I did. He said, But those were standing Supreme Court decisions. And the judge opened his mouth and should never have done this. He said, Those cases were all prior to 1938. Freeman said, Wait a minute. What happened in 38 to eliminate void certain Supreme Court decisions? And the judge said, I've told you too much, walked into his office, shut the door, and then clicked it locked, which means the conversation's over what freeman knew what how to do this he could go to the supreme court decisions of 38 and find the case and so he did he walked in the law library at some place that had a copy so i want to read this to the 38 and he flipped flip, and found it erie railroad versus Tompkins case 1938 the supreme court voided the constitution now the second case is even more interesting now once again you're going to have to believe me and howard and i I can impl- hopefully get you to understand after all the evidence I've given you that we're now going to confirm it. Mr. Freeman said, I was called sometime later. Now, he might have said it was three years later, five, but it was sometime later. I don't remember exactly. The dates are not important. I said, I got a call from a man. He said, uh, Mr. Freeman, I've been watching you for years. I'm a retired state Supreme Court justice. Now every state has a supreme court to determine whether the laws passed by their state legislature are are in in, uh, in accord with the state constitution. So he got elevated. He said, "I was at the time in '38. I was a federal judge, and then got elevated to the state supreme court." So he said, "While I was a federal judge." In 1938, I was called together with all of the other federal judges in the entire United States, and there are not very many of them, by Franklin Roosevelt. Now, remember this. Franklin Roosevelt appoints all of the federal judges. This is the boss. And I presume if he doesn't want you after he appoints you and you're confirmed, he can get you removed. So he says, we were told the following, and this is certainly a condensed version. He said, "General, ladies and gentlemen," he said, "I want you to remember that in 1933, I decided to call in all of the nation's gold. So it made it illegal to own gold, and if you had a gold certificate, you were to turn it into the bank, and they will take the get the gold and give it to the government, because you can no longer gold uh, own gold. And the gold certificate said." payable to the bearer, $10 in gold, payable on demand. You didn't need a piece of citizenship paper. You didn't need to prove you lived or old or was young or Ill. If you had a $10 gold certificate, you could walk into a bank on demand and get your gold. It doesn't say on demand unless the president decides not to allow you to have it on demand. There's no such, such a period after the word demand. So he broke the law. And called in the gold and made it illegal. And if he found you holding gold certificates after a certain date, you went to jail. And then he said, ladies and gentlemen, the international bankers could not get gold for their money either. So he said, they have declared, they own our national debt, and they have declared our willingness to void the gold redemption clause the act of a bankrupt nation and they now become the creditor or the debtor, I don't know which I guess the creditor, and we become the debtor, which means we're now in charge. And we don't like your stinking constitution, and we're gonna get you to amend the Constitution and void it and adopt the uniform code of commercial law, uniform commercial code. Was Howard telling the truth? One more last comment. Howard, I put this out of sequence. Howard, when he met the man, said, listen, Mr. Freeman, I'm going to ask you to do, there's only one condition to this. I'm going to ask you to never reveal the name of the person who told you, even though you can assure, I can assure you what I'm telling you is the truth. Because if you do do that, I could get into a lot of trouble. Huh? A state Supreme Court justice, formerly a federal judge, could get into trouble citing a Supreme Court decision? What are you talking about? So Freeman said, Your Honor, I promise you I'll never do that and he didn't do it that night, probably never did it forever. Now there's one more thing that Roosevelt told him. You are to take silent judicial notice of that fact. And what does that mean? What does that mean? It means in Ralph Epperson's language, you can't tell the dummies which means don't tell the American people make it sound like you were deciding on the, cost, uh, the Constitution but you weren't under the Uniform Commercial Code and that's what they're doing now go back to the Barack Obama being born in Kenya the Supreme Court refused to do it they were taking silent judicial notice of the fact that the Constitution's fell and void they don't have to now there's one last little story Forgive me, I thought I would, i like one word to tell you. I had a friend of mine named Maury, and uh, I, I guess it doesn't matter, he's down gone, this. It, by the way, by Clinton's. his last name was Free, Maury Free. I've known Maury for, until he passed away probably five, seven years ago. I knew Maury for 30 years. He was a friend of mine, and we met and he talked and wrote, and did, you know, things back and forth. So Maury came to me one day and called me and said on the phone, listen, Ron, you got a story you need to know. I so said, tell me. He said, I was driving through Eloy, Arizona. Now, Eloy, for those of you, maybe those who live in Arizona know, it's a small, at least it was, especially then when this occurred maybe 20 years ago, a small little farming community with probably uh, one bank and, uh, and one gas station and probably one stoplight and, uh, and a hardware store and, uh, and paved roads. So Mori had a stop sign. He turned to the right, and there he looked in his rearview mirror, and there was a, probably the only officer policeman in the city stopped him and said, well, well, what did you do? What did I do? He said, well, you made an illegal right-hand turn. And he said, well, I guess so. He said, I get in violation, I'll make it up. A Arizona revised statute, 3512, and he cited it. Thou shalt not make an illegal right-hand turn. So he now, now did, and thou gets a ticket. So he wrote out the ticket. Got his driver's license and his picture, of course, and uh, license plate and all the details. And so here's what you can do. You've got three choices. Number one, you can uh, 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 there's an envelope since you live in Tucson. You can take the ticket. Uh, put the fine, if someone would say $15, put it in the envelope, seal it, put a stamp on it, drop it in the mailbox and drive to Tucson, and the case is over. You've admitted to it and paid the fine. Number two, you could take your envelope to Tucson and put $15 or a check and send it back within 10 days, and it will get you for contempt to court. So, Or the third choice is see the judge. Now, Murray knew what Howard Freeman had taught both of us. So Maury said, I want to see the judge. Now listen to this. Maury walked in and they waited because the ju- the policeman and ended- the policeman had to be there. He's the witness. He's the expert, the traffic expert in the city of Eloy. So he was going to testify that this uh, this uh, violation of law made a day turn. so Maury says to the uh, the judge says, In the matter of the city of Eloy versus Maury free, and a traffic violation are you in the court mr free and Roy said yes sir i'm right back here he said, yes sir yes sir so well, how do you plead mr free expecting a guilty or not guilty so Roy says i uh, before i plead your honor i'd like to know what type of court i'm in now hold on listen to this because he said uh, well the judge said you're in the traffic court i presume the traffic court a legally constituted traffic court by the state of arizona when they chartered the city of Eloy in 1938 under everyone's revised statute of so it's a traffic court he said well Your Honor, may i ask a second question now, howard freeman taught us always ask questions and get them to say yes that means they got to answer so he said yes so mr free said now here's the question he was going to say i'll give the whole sentence and then tell you what happened he said he's going to ask is this a common law court a court of equity law, or a court of admiralty law. Those are the only three types of courts mentioned in the Constitution. That's it, A, B, C. So now Bowie's going to ask his question. Is this a common law court? And when he, the judge heard those two words, according to Maury, the judge took his gavel and pounded it, bang, on the desk, or whatever you want to call it, and said, case dismissed. Don't you ever come back to my court, Mr. Free. And Lori walked out a free man. Now, how could he do that? He violated the rule, the law of stature. He's going to say Was it wasn't me. He's the only man in the car. How's he going to plead innocent or not guilty? The judge said, case dismissed. Don't come back. Now, why? The judge all the way down in a traffic court, one of the lowest courts, I don't know, it might be the second lowest court in the nation. And this little judge sitting with a black robe on had the power to take money from people by trickery and deceit and use it for the city. And he was taking silent judicial notice that there was no common law and he couldn't admit it. The case is now look at the jury. <laughs> You're free to decide am I right or wrong. Wow.
0: Oh, Ralph, great presentation. An hour and 45 minutes, a little bit longer than we thought, but Ralph, this is a uh, a continuation of your approach, your life's work to document the formation, the foundation of, of a very successful ongoing tyranny that still operates to this day. Yes. Uh, the unseen hand. Your book has been out there a long time. What you presented tonight in this call, it, it feels like you could put this in a in a one of those little pamphlets, like. Uh, well, like the Jehovah Witnesses handout or something like that.
2: I'm I'm doing that with a DVD. I'm working on it, but I've got another project. Before I've got this DVD halfway done, and suddenly there's been a been a major break in the Jesse James story. That I've got a book out, and I'm going to update that book, and I'm almost finished. And when that's finished, and I decide what to do with it, and I'm going to try. Well, to... you're
0: gonna you're gonna have to come back down for that for that other. Thing, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. But anyway, but
2: your points what they
0: <laughs> Real quick, uh, we'd, we'd like to just – anybody out there, if you're still with us, just a, a comment or a question for Ralph or a thank you, whatever you want, just star six your phone because we're going to do a wrap before the top of the hour here. Anybody out there on the call want to pose a question or comment? I yeah. uh, don't want – what, 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 what makes the uh, Constitution unconstitutional? Erie uh, Erie Railroad
2: is that Erie Railroad versus what? Okay, okay, go okay. so show. It's Erie. E is in Edward. R, yeah. I, E, mm-hmm. and then versus. V E R S U S. Versus. That's like in the of Arizona versus Oklahoma. Versus oh, Erie Erie Railroad versus. And then the next word is Tompkins. T is in terrific. O is in Oscar, M is in married, K is in <laughs> knife, K I N is in Nancy S. Tompkins. 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 Erie you know, Railroad versus Tompkins,
0: 1939.
2: 38. Now you heard in uh, it heard in like October and came out in something else. I don't know. There the dates when you find the case in the Supreme in the. Uh, in the, uh, the law library, what you look for is very briefly read the, there's a summation of the case and also uh, the opinion, and you'll read there is no general common law in the United States. That means the Constitution's not no. is not in existence anymore. There's no, meaning none. Just no like, the, common- like the law. Common, yeah, common law. What's the common law? As you might recall, I said this going in at the beginning. The common law is what God expects of us. You're only responsible for for injuries to your neighbor or their property. And Like I said, if Maury had driven over a fence, if, if, if the judge had said, yes, this is a common law court, then Maury would say, listen, Your Honor, before I plead... This is called the arraignment. Before I plead, I have the right to talk to the the, uh, uh, injured party. In other words, did I run over a a child in a bicycle? Uh, Did I hit a uh, bus with uh, people in it? Did I knock over a fence or a sign? If so, then bring those people. I have the right to question them. How did they know it was me? Did did they do it? Did I? And what sign? And what? I have the right. And then once I know the facts of the case, then I will determine whether I'm guilty or innocent, or how to plead. And so that's why the judge. That's right. So it's, we don't have any, you can sometimes get the judge to declare a common law court. By the way, one of the ways you know you're not in a common law court is the flag of the United States. The flag of the United States does not have a golden border. The flag of the United States defined by law, 50, you know, 50 white stars in a field of blue, 13 stripes alternating red, white, and red, white, and so-and-so side proportions. That's it. No gold braid. The gold braid is a sign. It's an admiralty flag. That's the common law. I mean, the, uh, I'm sorry, the admiralty law, which is the, which is the uniform commercial code. We're living under the law of contract.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. telling you. Hey, Fred. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 Hey, Ralph. Hey, Ralph. Uh, I, I, I totally agree with everything that you've said the entire evening. No question. Problem is, is that uh, people that are going into and challenging are being prosecuted and jailed because they're they're not going to listen to it.
2: Well, please understand. I, in fact, I want, I'm glad you brought that up. I failed to mention it in my discussion. Don't stop filing. Do not. Stop filing. It is voluntary, but once again, you've signed a contract, and they got your signature. The judge will ask you, "Is this your signature?" Yes, it is. Well, when you did, you became, you admitted you were a citizen of the United States. It's over. So they claim there are people getting out, but I wouldn't trust it. So please. We need you to get this story out, to tell the American people why this country's in the middle of a mess. We're in trouble because of what our founding fathers did to us. They gave Congress total and limited power. I hope that what I said to you, I know it's devastating. No one that I know of has ever said this in this context all together in one and a half hours. Before I covered it, We noticed we read the documents. Okay. Got another call, Fred?
0: I think that's it. Anybody else one final one final shot, question? Okay. Yeah. Thank thank
2: you, Mr. Epperson. I'm a, i am can assure you it's my pleasure. Thank you for listening. Right.
0: We've had a lot of callers. A lot of callers tonight, Ralph. Thank you so much. You brought in people like crazy on on the radio and on our telephone
2: feed. Now listen, if I may, please, while we're still still on the air, or wherever okay. it is, I have a phone number. I'm listed in, on my website, which is Ralph-Epperson.com. ralph dash dot com. R A L P H Ralph. Then there's a dash. Epperson's with two p's is in Peter. E P P E R S O N dot com. Call me, talk to me, send me a message I'm on my Facebook. Send me an email. We need to talk. I I've got. 19 DVDs uh, plus four books. i got a website, ralph com. You go there and read and study. Even if you just browse, it's an educational effort. Okay. I do right, Sam, Sam, go right ahead. One last
0: question. Yeah, right. Hey, Ralph, and then just one quick question. Hey, Ralph, yeah. this is real quick. Uh, do you think they'd ever teach that in law school, Erie Railroad versus Tompkins?
2: <laughs> do I think that this is being taught in law school? Yeah. No, uh, but teach. <laughs> They're teaching case studies. Now, this thing was in '38. All of yeah. the decisions passed since '38 have been re- underneath the Uniform Commercial Code, but they make it sound like the Constitution. Now, let me go back. Every t- Nearly every time you see an attorney doing an advertisement on TV, he's standing in front of a wall of books. What about the wall of books? He's saying to you, listen, I'm an attorney. I know what these books are, and I know everything about this, and you don't know anything about law. That's why you need to hire me at $500 an hour. That's what he's standing there for I tell you those are the Supreme Court decisions that they use as precedent. When, they, when you run over, a, a, a say, a sign uh, fixed in the concrete, there's been probably a case that ruled and saves the judge on how to rule. In the previous case, 1962, someone ran into a sign stuck in concrete, and here's the way the Jew, judge ruled, and so the judge uses that precedent as the way to rule in your case. That's what those wild books is, and that's what Freeman knew. He was an expert in the, the Supreme Court decisions. Fortunately, mm-hmm.
0: all Right. <laughs> well, thank good.
2: you. Listen, by the way, all right, guys. Yep. Tred, yep. Tred, are you there?
0: Yep. I'm here. I'm here. Okay.
2: May I ask, are you going to archive this?
0: Yes, we will have the archival link available to you. Uh, Steve will send it out uh, to me and I'll forward it to you. And, and Well, well I, I don't care yet. so
2: much for me getting it. But, but I'll can... it on
0: your Facebook. I'll post okay, it on your good. Facebook Okay, okay? And
2: you do it as well. Send it to your people. Yep. We'll and do it. Tell, tell them tomorrow if they want to hear it again, they can go to the archives.
0: Absolutely. Please.
2: Absolutely. I know this is revolution. I know it's difficult, but please, this is where we are. I didn't make this up. Notice we were reading the documents. Well, Ralph, you know, every week now going forward after this call, your archive will be on our newsletter that goes out. Please, and and just promote it often as you can. Say, don't forget a couple of weeks ago we had Ralph Epperson on. Please listen to it. Here it is. Here's a way to click and listen. This is vital information. We've got to know where we are. Now, please, I'm going to say it again. Do not stop filing. Don't be, I don't not I don't trust the people that are telling you, you can get out, we'll get you out. I'm telling you, I, I wouldn't do it. Uh, there was a, a movie actor um, uh, that decided to try it, and he spent 10 years of his life in jail. Yeah. I'm tight hard, so by the way. Go ahead.
0: Thank you so much, Ralph. Uh, again, we'll have this archival link available to you. I'll forward it to you. I'll post it and share it. Everyone, please do the same. On the newsletter, please go to Ralph's links, go to his website, order a few of his books, and stay in touch. Ralph, thank you so much.
2: Ralph,
0: hope for the country. The country's done.
2: Thank you very much for all your opportunity and all your interest. Thank you so very much. Thank you,
0: Ralph. It's a wrap, guys. See you next week. God bless. Thanks, Didi. Thanks, Steve. (laughs) Betty, everyone. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, guys. Good night, everyone. Take care. A-U-N. American Underground Network.